0: Well, we talked last week. We're continuing our study through Nehemiah. And we've looked at the beginning of chapter three, we, the beginning of the first few gates. When Nehemiah started to rebuild the walls and the gates, he looks around and sees the condition of the area was just—it was a wreck. It was in shambles. The walls and gates were totally destroyed, and to look at rebuilding them seemed to be an impossible task. Nehemiah realized the difficulty of rebuilding. He didn't—he didn't look at it through rose-colored glasses. He saw what had to be done he saw the difficulty of it and he knew it was going to take a long time and a lot of people but he knew that god was able to get him through that now equated the shambles and the walls of the gates to maybe what happened through 2020. not many of us want to remember that year or maybe remember it in the distant past Looking looking at the condition of the country and more specifically maybe the church it seems to be up in the air Seems to be—I'm not sure the shambles is the right word—but it's something that has never happened, at least in this country, in in my lifetime, and I assume most of the life of the country nationwide. I got an email that churches have permanently closed. Some have permanently closed through this. Some have closed for a period of time. Some have limited their services. Some went strictly online or held church services in the parking lot. You know. I, this isn't a part of this, but I was thinking about that. We have, you know, we've been online for a while. And a lot of churches have either been online or have transitioned to online services. That's great. But look at what's happening now with the online availability. The, the services through which we broadcast are now beginning to censor those who are on taking them off not allowing them to broadcast churches haven't been hit with that yet but if you think that it's not going to happen that they're gonna start taking our ability to broadcast online away it's gonna happen it's already happening once the church starts saying something or preaching something that everyone seems to disagree with they're gonna pull our format They're going to pull our ability to get online. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen. Right now, and and you all know this, cake bakers are forced to do things they don't want to do. Places are forced to do things. Businesses are forced to do things against their conscience, against their faith. The government's making them do things that the world is telling them they need to do. So don't think for a second that this isn't going to come home. I think one of the reasons that all this online stuff is happening, and it's good, we need to use every format. But if we trust in that format, rather than getting together, what happens when that rug's pulled off from under us? Well, we're so used to being at home watching it online, we're not getting together. And what happens when that is gone? Well, you don't want to go back to church anymore. Online is a good supplement. It does not replace getting together in a building together. Church attendance has drastically declined either through sickness or fear. And I would tend to say a lot of that is fear. It seems that it might be impossible to get back to normal. And it might be. But it doesn't stop the church from being what God calls the church to be. And like Nehemiah, if God is with us and we all join in, we can regroup. And we can build it better than it was before. And Nehemiah sets out to get the job done. Now, last week, we started with the gates surrounding the city. I'm not going to go through them. A lot of them just going to briefly recap them for you. Each gate specifies a time in a Christian's life and their walk with God, which it does today. So the first gate was the sheep gate. That's where the offerings were brought in. That's where salvation is mentioned, through the sheep gate. You come, we are... We're coming into Christ's knowledge at that moment. It's a salvation experience. Before we do anything else for God, we need to know Christ first. We need to be saved. We need to have our sins forgiven. That was the sheep gate. Next was the fish gate. That's the desire of us as believers to let other people know about Christ. We're fishers of men. Then we came to the old gate, which we eventually, essentially kicked off our 21 and 21. Now, if you weren't here last week, 21 and 21 is, again, this is, I'm the least creative person you're ever going to meet. Every good idea that you may hear me say, her. So we were talking about this 21 and 21, and we're taking 21 Wednesdays from the beginning of the year to pray and fast specifically for God to do something. And most of all, we're talking about salvation's. We're talking about what God wants to accomplish in our church and in our property, what God wants to do with us. We're not going to sit back and play defense all the time, which is what we've been doing in 2020. We're going to pray, play offense. We're praying that God intercedes, and in prayer and fasting gets God's attention. God tells us we need to pray and fast. And the, the, the old gate, the reason they called the old gate was because it was old outside. And when you walk through the gate, That gate brought you into what the Old Testament calls a new quarter or the new area of expansion. So if you want to see God do new things, which we all do, we do things the old way. Prayer and fasting. Now, I'm going to take a moment to stop here for a second. How many of you got a pass out of a bulletin when you walked in this morning? Got a bulletin? In that bulletin should be a small slip of paper with lines on it. what we want to do is I'm going to have you take that piece of paper out and I want you to write on that piece of paper things you are specifically praying and trusting God for it could be a healing could be salvation whatever it is you can list one you can list many but I want you to take a moment to write on that paper what you are praying for and what we're going to do is we are going to come up here like my mini cross know, baby cross we're working on getting a bigger one you know but right now on this cross are a bunch of finishing nails that we hammered into that and what want you to do is take that piece of paper right on there what you're praying for and i want each one every one to come up and take that piece of paper and stick it on that finishing nail and we're going to leave it there you can either put your name or don't put your name it doesn't matter if you don't want us to reveal it that's fine but these are things we are trusting god for and i want i mentioned last week about journaling. Writing them down allows you the opportunity to know if they've been answered. You could pray for something for years and years and years and then forget about it. And then later on, you find out that it's answered. This way, you get to know it's answered. So I was scrolling through the, I was Googling something. I forget what it was. It was about prayer. And I saw one of the, the options that you could get on that was from an atheist organization. It says, one of the worst things you can do is pray and uh, I thought about that if I'm wrong as a Christian if everything I believe is totally wrong when I die and I go to just turn to dirt has Christianity benefited my life now absolutely absolutely I don't walk in fear I don't walk I walk in faith I walk in trust believe God's gonna do it if they're wrong when they die their life is gonna be a lot of suffering we don't know what God is going to do we trust what God's Word says but God tells us pray for souls God tells us to witness God tells us to do a multitude of things he doesn't tell us what the outcome of everything is going to be our job is to be obedient to what God says who knows maybe that person you're praying for man they do get saved maybe that person is healed and we've all know people who are and until the day they take their last breath we pray that God intervenes but we don't know what is going to happen Jesus prayed, Lord, if it's your will, take this cross from me, right? And what did God say? No. Paul prayed three times, take this thorn in the flesh away, and God says, No. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace will get you through whatever the, that thorn was. It didn't slow him down. He prayed about it, he prayed about it, and he kept working we believe that prayer works and we've all had experiences of where prayer actually really God came through and sometimes God says wait and sometimes God says no we don't know when they are we don't know why they are but our job is to be faithful and pray and trust that God is going to work Wesley said God does nothing except by prayer So we need to pray and fast. That's why we're doing 21 and 21. The next gate we came to was the valley gate. How God uses times of hardship to build your faith and you experience God's promises during times of trouble. If you're never in trouble, you don't have hardships, you don't need to pray. But when they come and you pray and God sees you through them, it builds your faith it's like man god did this for me awesome and lastly we hit the dung gate so you get saved you get excited to tell others you hit some bumps in the road god reveals things to you but then god reveals things that need to go as you mature hopefully we grow up and we get rid of the things that were with us when we were kids What's the Bible says, when I was a child, i talked like a child. When I grew up, i get rid of childish things. And so God says there's going to come a time where you need to get rid of the things in your life that are more important to you than God. So now we pick it up at the fountain gate. Nehemiah 3.15 says, Shalom, son of Kolheza, the leader of the Mizpah, Mizpah district, repaired the fountain gate. This was near the pool of Siloam, and they drew water for the temple from this, this pool. This gate represents being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you go through the valley and then God gets rid of things in your life that you know and He knows need to go, what happens if the Spirit of God fills you and you begin to flow in the Spirit? Because things in your life that don't need to be there, that are a distraction, keep you from operating in the Spirit. John 7.37 says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said streams of living water will flow from within him notice it says from within it's not a product of things that are happening in your life it is what is in you right now when i was with shirley last night and the family even in a difficult time they trusted god they were loving each other it was it was a peaceful time for that family and I've been in situations where it's not that way upon the death of a loved one. It, it's chaos. But you can tell that God's presence was there in the middle of that. We got to pray before I left and that's is not what's going on around you that allows the spirit to flow through you. It's the spirit flowing through you regardless of what's happening and people can see how you're living what and what you're excited about and what you're, what peace you have in the middle of, of situations. And that's what the Holy Spirit does we prayed for the peace that passes understanding that you have a peace in your life when everyone says you shouldn't have it and then we come to the water gate if you're a certain age that name rings a bell for you right Nehemiah 326 and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel who repaired the wall as far as the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower this speaks of God's Word Ephesians 5:26 says, or 5.25, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Once you pass through the water gate and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, or fountain gate, you fill the Holy Spirit, now you come to the water gate. The Holy Spirit in you should give you a desire to know God's word. You should have a hunger to really not just Read it nonchalantly, but read it and study it. You want to get that into you. We cannot exist on the Holy Spirit alone. How many know that? Right? You need to be grounded in the Holy, so the Holy Spirit can direct you through the knowledge of the Word. There's a phrase that says, all spirit, you blow up. All Word and no spirit, you dry up. But a mixture of the Word and the Holy Spirit, you grow up. Now, notice that it doesn't say that this gate was ever repaired. They repaired the wall up to the gate. If the gate stands for God's word and the gate didn't need to be repaired, it means God's word doesn't need to be altered. It doesn't need to be fixed or corrected. It is perfect the way it is. Ezra read from the book of the law in front of the water gate. 8, Nehemiah 1, 8.1 All the people assembled together as one person at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So Ezra on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the scroll of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. the Holy Spirit should give you a desire to know the word right now this country is plentiful with Bibles you can find them online you can find them in every store they're everywhere no one has an excuse right now that not have a Bible not read it you can even get an app on your phone to read it But I'm gonna say one thing how many notice our country is shifting a little bit to a socialist model does anybody see that am i the only one well what happens you look at your history what happens in socialist countries what's the first thing they start to do they begin to take the churches and the word of god away and then eventually that forms into socialism at its end is communism and if you look history china soviet union everything they did was to ban any kind of faith, any kind of word of God, you are executed in China if they find you with the Bible. If you think our country's heading this way, what do you think they're going to do with God's word? They're going to get rid of it. So you need to be understand, do you know enough of God's word that if he took your Bible from you, you still have enough of it to, to meditate on and read? And it can't just be a cursory reading. You have to know it, you have to understand it, and you have to want to live by it. The next one is the horse gate, Nehemiah 3.28. The priest repaired the wall up from the hill of the horse gate, each one doing the section immediately opposite his own house. Now this gate was the one that overlooked the Kidron Valley, which is the place of battle for Israel. Horses left for war through this gate. And they came back through this gate. Now there, there's three different scenarios that this gate can apply to our life. They're all similar, but they're a little bit different. The first meaning is the Bible tells us what we're in a spiritual war, right? We are in that battle. Ephesians 6:12 says, "We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms." We all know there's a spiritual battle going on around us and we can see it now manifest in the country in physical form. So we know that there is a spiritual battle going on and we need to be prepared for that battle. And that brings us back to the prayer and fasting. With the battle going on around us, are we prayed up enough to go into battle and trust God to win that battle for us? Because not only are we asking God to do things, we need to pray that we are built up in the faith, Because are you ready for what might happen? Are we strong enough believers that if things get tougher, that we are able to stand? Are you grounded in God's word, and are you willing to have God fight your battles for you? Are you seeking the power of God through prayer? Or do you try to handle everything yourselves? Or do you trust God and you pray and fast for things that you have no control over for God to change? The second possible meaning for this is to stand for the defense of the gospel. Are you able to defend what you believe? If someone comes up to you and asks you why you believe what you believe, 2 Timothy 3:15, always be ready to give an answer. Do you know? Can someone talk you out of what you believe? How many of you have cults that come to your door, knock on your door and try to witness to you? Some of those guys are really smart. And they sound they they talk a good game are you able to counter that not only for them but for yourself when they leave cults are full of people that came from churches who didn't know their Bible they came to church they you know they knew a little bit but someone comes to them and talks this in the Bible calls it fine-sounding arguments they come in they pitch a good game to you and it sounds great and all of a sudden You're now a member of a cult because you weren't able to defend yourself against what they were saying do you and are you able to defend what you believe not only to someone else but to yourself so when they leave you know where you stand you know that everything they were telling you is false as Christians we should be able to do that and the last possible meaning for is it it stands for the day of the Lord and the end time judgment and revelation there's gonna be a final judgment for believers as well as unbelievers. Next gate is the east gate, Nehemiah 3.29. Next, Zadok son of Immer also rebuilt the wall next to his own house and beyond him was Shemiah son of Zachaniah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Now this gate has one meaning and in fact, it was never used except by God. Ezekiel 44.1 says, Then the man brought me back to the east gateway in the outer wall, but it was closed. And the Lord said to me, this gate must remain closed. It will never again be opened. No man will ever pass through it for the Lord, the God of Israel, entered here. Thus it must always remain shut. This gate faces the Mount of Olives. And this is the gate. When Jesus returns, he comes from the east. He's gonna hit the east gate. And we are waiting for the return of Christ. And when he does... Not, not the rapture now. This is the second coming. Not the rapture, the second coming. This is where he's going to come. Zechariah 14.4. It says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem in the east. And the Mount of Olives, Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west, for half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. Now remember, the rapture, Jesus does not touch the earth. He's in the air. And we're called up to be with him. The second coming after all the tribulation everything done then jesus actually walks he lands on earth and that's what happens and that gate means we have to live in expectation that christ will return today and then we have to be ready for that first john 3 2 says dear friends now we are children of god and what we will be has not yet been made known But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. New Living Translation says, all who believe this will keep themselves pure, just as Christ is pure. That means we need to be ready. It means you can't live like you want to live and expect to be ready when Christ comes back. We believe that he's coming back. He can come back tomorrow. Then we need to keep your lives in check. That's why a daily time of devotion keeps you current with God. Because 2 Timothy 3.1 says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful unholy without love unforgiving slanders without self-control brutal not lovers of god treacherous rash conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having a form of godliness but denying its power if you're not ready for the rapture you don't know christ you're not you know haven't confessed your sins to him you're not going to make the rapture And not only are you going to go through a tribulation time where it's painful and you're gonna want to die, the Bible says you're not gonna be able to die. And if you get saved during that time, you're martyred. You don't wanna be around for the second coming. You don't wanna be here when the second coming happens. The last gate is the inspection gate, Nehemiah 3.31. Milcah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate another term for this would be judgment gate it represents the judgment seat of christ i mentioned before we're all going to stand before god believer unbeliever going to stand before god second corinthians 5 10 says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I've mentioned before, I'll say it quickly, there's two different judgments. There's a judgment seat of Christ, that is for believers. God looks at your life as a Christian. What doesn't mean you're not going to get into heaven. The Bible says you can get in by the skin of your teeth. But God's going to inspect what you have done for him while you were a Christian. Did you accept salvation and just kind of skate through life and never do anything and you're, you're a nominal kind of guy or girl? God's going to judge your work. And It's either going to burn up or it's going to survive. And if it survives, you get rewarded. That's the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, If any man builds on this foundation, the foundation of Christ being the cornerstone of the church, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer a loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, we may think that as long as I get to heaven, I'm I'm good. Well, the question is are you sure you're going to make it bible says examine yourself see whether you're in the faith if you think you're going to make it and you're just living like you want to live bible says "Yeah, yeah you might not know christ but if you're doing things for him and you're you're sacrificing yourself you're praying and you're trusting god regardless of what's going on in your life you're building your your life on the foundation of christ the things you do for him if directed by the spirit and by prayer is the gold, silver, precious stones. And God's gonna reward you for what you do in the body. The second one is the great white throne judgment. That is for people who are not Christians. And that's where God says, okay, you think you can get in because of what you do, your goodness. Let's look at that. And he's gonna pull out the books, and he's gonna start listing everything you've done that was sin. And obviously, the very first thing he hits, the very first sin Sin doesn't enter heaven, you're done. Everyone who hits that great white throne judgment is destined for hell. We don't want to be at that judgment. Christians aren't at that judgment. Your lives will be inspected for what they are. Whether you're a Christian or not, God's going to inspect your life for what you are. When I was in college, I had a a 68 Volkswagen. How many? Beetles, I love Beetles. But this car was like one big rust bucket. And it had tons of Bondo and rivets and tin on it. It was just but we were able to paint it every every summer we would put it together from how it got destroyed from the winter, put it back together, putty it up, tar it up, and paint it. And once we painted it, it looked good. I mean, it looked really nice. But how many of you watch those car shows that are out there? When they go to repair a car, what's the first thing they do? They sandblast all the paint off. And they get down to what it really is. And if you were to do that to my car, you would just be one big blah, Because there's inches of bondo and there's rivets and there's tar. And once all that's gone, it's just a rotted mess. God's going to sandblast your life when you get there. And everything that we did that maybe people saw or whatever it was is going to be gone. And what's going to be left is the motivation behind what you did. Did you do it because you want to honor God? And doesn't mean I mean you can work in the nursery, you can fold papers, whatever you're doing, did you do it for the glory of God? Or did you do it because people said, hey, you're doing a good job at that? Do you like to be up front? Do you like to be noticed? God says, that's great, but that's all the reward you're gonna get. So at the sandblasting time, all that's gonna be gone. And God's gonna say, well, everything you did at that moment is is gone because you got your reward here. And your life will be bare metal at that moment. So we wanna be sure that what we do for God survives that test. Now we end back at the sheep gate, Nehemiah 3.32. The other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. Now, a couple of things about this whole paragraph. Two things. It was a major task that involved many people. God's work always involves people. Very rarely does God do something on his own. God uses people to get his job done, to get his work done. And it's never a one-man job it takes each one of us to accomplish God's vision. And the second thing is God takes the time to mention the names in the Bible. How many like to read in the genealogies? I try to, I kind of skim over them. And then if you read like Numbers and Leviticus, you have all the names of the people that are going into, like, I skip over that. God could just say, now, he took a lot of people with him. <laughs> but you know what? God takes the time to write each name down. God takes note of everybody. Everybody of what they're doing. God is a recorder of names. Book of life. Malachi 3.16 Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and loved to think about him. They will be my people, says the Lord Almighty. On the day when I act, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient and dutiful child. Then you will see again the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. God is keeping a ledger on everybody. God, all the things that we do that nobody else may see or know, God is recording every one of them, and He will reward us at the appropriate time. Revelation twenty eleven. Then I saw a great white throne, and He who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from His presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. In other words, they're good enough. Their works will get them in. As recorded in the books, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God keeps records. Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped him, helped his people, and continue to help him. God keeps track of everybody. The least noticeable person to the most noticeable, per- noticeable person, God keeps track. Now, what's the church's vision. What's God's vision for the church? Right. Well, for this year it's to kind of regroup and take back what the enemy took last year. Right? God, John Wesley, I said this before, says God does nothing except by prayer. There's a lot of unknowns and things going on in the world that we really can't physically control. We can pray. And trust God to do it. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. And that was a promise to Israel, but it's a principle that we can still believe and pray for. We have a God who can overrule everything that's going on out there, right? We pray. But the question is, how badly do we want it? We're praying for revival, right? Part of the 21 and 21 is we're praying for souls to get saved, people to get saved. How badly do we want that kind of revival? And what's going on in the world right now, hopefully, sparks that interest in people that they want to know more about God. And we're praying that this is the beginning of a revival. If you remember the, the 60s, man, turmoil everywhere in the 60s. It was worse than it is right now. But what came out of that? Early Late 60s, early 70s, you had the Jesus movement. You had the charismatic revival. A lot of Catholics came to know Christ. All the hippies that were in in San Francisco, a lot of them got saved through that. Like a revival happened at the end of that. I believe that's what God wants to do now. But the question is, do we want to do that? Do we want to take that time and believe that God can do that? Now, God wants it. We have to do our part. do we really want revival think about what revival is first revival is filling churches with people who are unlovely who don't may not want to be here whose lifestyle may be really weird or really wicked filling churches do we want to fill I I heard a preacher say he says I wish my church would smell like smoke because that means people who are smoking and doing all kinds of things are in church do we are we ready for that do we want that to happen do you want to have people come in that man we normally wouldn't want to hang around or you don't want your kids seeing that's revival that's getting people who are far from God close to God and I believe that God I know that God wants that we have to be ready and wanting to do that, and I believe that God can do that. Joel two twenty five says, "God says this: I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten." Last year, locusts ate a lot. But God says, "I'll repay you for that," which leads me into the last verse, Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God works all things for good. Even things we think are bad, we don't understand, Bill. The Bible says all things work together for good. You never know what God is going to do through tragedy. How many people come to know Christ? I don't know Bill's extended family. Maybe his extended family gets saved. Man, I would gladly give up my life if my extended family got saved In in a New York minute. All things work together for good, for those who love him, have been called according to his purpose. That means if you're a believer, you've already been called to do things for God. Our job is to, to answer that call and to believe that God can do it. Would you stand as we close this morning? Close your eyes for a moment, bow your heads. be remiss if I didn't offer that opportunity to know Christ this Sunday every Sunday people may attend church for years and not really have a relationship with Christ they may like the fellowship they might like beating with their friends but they don't know Jesus they haven't asked for God to forgive them of their sins and maybe here you're in that position Maybe you're a churchgoer all your life, or maybe this is your very first time here. The question is still the same. Have you asked Christ for forgiveness? The Bible says we're all sinners. It also says the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you received Christ as forgiveness for your sins? The Bible says we can't work our way into heaven, obviously, The things that we do aren't good enough. Jesus came to take the punishment that we should have taken for our sins. He took all of them on himself. And Jesus says, and the Bible tells us, you have to believe that. And not just in your head. You have to really come to a position in your heart where you believe that God, the God of the universe, sent his son to suffer for you. And because of that, because of what Christ gave up, man, I want to live for him. I want to offer him everything. If you're here, or maybe you're online, and you've never really trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin so that you can have a right relationship with God, because right now the Bible says you are apart from God. Sin separates you from God. You have no relationship with God but if you want that relationship you want to come to know Christ you want to have that experience that we've all experienced you're here and you're listening for this particular moment if that's you and you want that relationship I want you to raise your hand or if you're at home take some time to think about that if you're watching at home let me pray with you if you maybe are in that position you want to know Christ you don't know much about it let me pray with you and then I'm gonna close our church service. If you're at home, just repeat these after me. It's an easy prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking all the punishment that I deserve to take. And thank you for rising from the dead to be alive right now. And because of that, When I accept you, my sins have been forgiven. And I now have a right relationship with my heavenly Father. Amen. Lord, I pray for each one of us in this service this morning and those who are home who couldn't be here, that, Lord, you would really fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would give us a hunger for your word. You would give us the desire to to work for you so that we know that when our time comes, Father, all the work that we've done will be rewarded. And allow us to have that sense of urgency and trust as we pray these next 21 days and and forever, it's not gonna end in 21 days. Praying and fasting is gonna continue. But Father, as we pray right now and believe for these, these people that we're praying for, these needs, these burdens on our heart, We believe that God, you are the God who answers prayer. You are the God who does miracles that has not stopped. You are the God who heals that has not stopped. And you are the God who saved and saves that has not stopped. You, your Bible says you are working right now. You work all the time. So Father, we pray that you would answer prayer, meet needs, do miracles. But more than that, we want people to see the glory of God in our lives as our faith is built up through the time that we spend praying and interceding now lord i commit each person to you bless them as they leave let them see you working specifically in their life in response to prayer and allow great testimonies to come from that to build those of us up who just continue to need testimonies in our life of god's faithfulness and goodness lord i commit each person to you in jesus name And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday. Continue to pray. Don't forget, Wednesday, pray and fast. No eating.